Welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I'm Carol Iscaros. On this episode of the podcast, we're actually going to complete our look at Jehovah Ra, the Lord, our shepherd. Last time, we began looking so closely at Psalm 23, going really verse by verse, and we're continuing actually picking up in verse 4 of Psalm 23. And verse 4, if you are turning there with us and reading along, Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff they comfort me. So last podcast, we looked at the valley of the shadow of death, and I told you we're not designed to lay down in the valley of the shadow of death. We're supposed to keep walking. God has not stopped shining His light. It's just that something is temporarily blocking that light source and casting a shadow. But here I want to look at your rod and your staff. The passage says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The picture is of the same instrument. Most likely, it's a shepherd's crook, that tool, the staff, that a shepherd would use to gently guide his sheep back into the fold. Sometimes he'd have to use it around their neck to kind of tug on them. Uh, Sometimes he'd even use it to give them a whack in the backside um, when they weren't learning a lesson and he had to correct them. So it's the same instrument, your rod and your staff, comforting us. So how can a staff like this, how can discipline and this type of guidance be comforting? One commentator explains it saying that discipline really is comfort, okay? He says discipline is comfort knowing that their structure and order and love is actually comforting. I know Many of us may hear or have children who say, oh, there's too many rules. I'm sick of your rules. I've had it. I've had it. I want to be free. I want to live without it. And we think somehow that there's more comfort in having no rules. That is not the case. God's standards, His rules, His direction, His correction even, are for your comfort and your good. And I could probably illustrate it best from the lives of my kids. And whether or not they love it, the fact of the matter is my children are used to me using them as illustrations, whether it's on the podcast or uh, teaching publicly. But my oldest, I feel like you make a lot of your mistakes as a parent on your oldest, right? They're sort of your guinea pigs. But my oldest, when she had just started crawling, she was one of those super fast crawlers, okay? I mean, she was like, she'd bolt around the house crawling, and it was, you know, foreboding, uh, knowing that she'd be walking and running in short order. But she used to bolt towards the potted plants at her grandparents' house. Her grandfather is great at keeping things alive, and his house plants are beautiful, and they live forever. He takes such good care of them. But she'd scoot her little self over to those potted plants, and before I could catch up with her, before I could even get there, her fists are inside the potting soil and flicking it out and sort of digging like a dog might and flicking the sand out of the pot And please picture it, okay? It's actually comical. It's like, wee! And there's a potpourri of soil in the air, in her hair, everywhere. The soil was everywhere. (laughs) The first time she did it, it was adorable. 
But I told her, no, Em, I took her hand out. I washed her hand off. You know, I kissed her, kissed her. Oh, you're so cute. I cleaned up. That was the first time. The next time she did it, I was a little firmer. I was like, do not play with the soil. No. I was firmer. The third time, before she even approached the pot, okay, I knew what was coming. I knew what was coming. So I warned her before she even got there. I told her, I said, if you do it again, Em, you are going to be disciplined. So she looked at me and she looked at the pot and she looked at me and looked at the pot. It's like a cartoon. I kid you not. Back and forth and back and forth. Deciding if the momentary pleasure of the sin, that is the momentary digging and enjoying the soil, was worth the discipline she would end up getting. And guess what? She decided it was. She gave into temptation and she was corrected. But see, instead of that correction being a source of harm to her, Emmy and all of my kids and many of our kids have learned that correction and discipline defines that there is order in the home. I love you enough to warn you when you're doing something that's damaging to something that doesn't belong to you, that is harmful to you or to others. I loved her enough to correct her. And that correction, listen, it wasn't just about preventing mess and soil on the floor. One day, her knowing to heed my warning and to know I meant business would protect her from getting hurt. If she knew I meant business when I said, don't dig in the dirt, when I spoke to her a certain way, when she was careening for a busy street, she knew I meant business and she knew enough to stop when the stakes were higher. She knew to stop before she would get really hurt. Her learning obedience in the case of the potted plant helped her learn obedience when it was infinitely more important and more serious. And look, heeding my audible voice, a voice she could actually hear, helped her learn over time to heed God's voice later on in her life that isn't always audible. In other words, discipline and rules, a rod and its staff are for order and for comfort, for keeping things the way they're supposed to be and not letting our lives and our homes devolve into chaos. Jehovah Ra, your shepherd, he loves you enough to correct you, and that is a comfort. Every time you are corrected by God, be comforted. God is your father and he loves you enough to correct you. There is love and order and comfort in that rod and that staff. Jehovah Ra. I love him. But now, Psalm 23, verse 5, continuing on here, another rich picture. That's why we're taking it verse by verse through Psalm 23, because every single verse is such a picture of this great shepherd of our souls, this lover of our souls. Verse 5, and really, it's another paradigm shift in the psalm. It says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. 
So here we're shifting from the picture of a shepherd with sheep to this beautiful banquet, a picture of food and security given and prepared again by our good shepherd, Jehovah Ra, the shepherd of our souls. But I want you to notice closely, please, where is this banquet table set? Notice, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Believer, the enemies are not eliminated. This instead is a picture of provision and security in the midst of your enemies. God has not promised ever to eliminate enemies or the enemy of your soul or hardship or difficulty in order for you to be able to sit down at a table, tuck in, and enjoy what God has given you. He never promised that. Instead, he's saying you can enjoy all of those things despite the enemies and the hardship and the difficulty. That's how we understand the Holy Spirit within us, this comforter, this paraclete. We can have love and joy and peace and patience, all of those incredible fruit of the Spirit, wherever we are, whatever we're facing. And again, I'm going to read you a Spurgeon quote. I just have to. I don't read lots of quotes, but again, Spurgeon, perfect, nails it on the head. He says this, this picture of this banquet, nothing is hurried. There is no confusion, no disturbance. The enemy is at the door, and yet God prepares a table, and the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. Why? Because as we studied a few podcasts ago, because he's Jehovah Shalom, God, our peace. He's Jehovah Ra, the Lord, our shepherd, preparing this incredible banquet feast for us, even in the presence of our enemies. And this verse, verse five, again, it says, you anoint my head with oil. I want you to think about that picture again. You anoint my head with oil. So, A shepherd would anoint the heads of sheep with oil for really two reasons. One is the oil helped protect against those flies and parasites that I mentioned last time. Remember, I told you they can't lie down if they're being bothered by pests and disease. So the oil would actually help protect the inside of their ears from infection. Okay, so it was protection in that sense, but it was also protection so that when rams would butt heads, that's where it comes from, two rams butting heads, if those horns had been anointed with oil, the butting of heads would cause no injury. There would be no lasting injury because God made a way, the shepherd made a way for conflict not to be permanently damaging. Pause there for a second. What makes conflict between us as believers permanently damaging? 
What causes it to be something we don't get past? How is it that difficulty you have with someone in ministry, someone over you or serving with you in ministry, or maybe it's people uh, broadly in the body of Christ, how does it become so permanently damaging? How is it that people leave their churches? Maybe you're experiencing that. You've left your church because of severe conflict. What is happening here? Listen, there is a healthy way, oil, if you will, that God has given us for dealing with conflict among the body of Christ. When we aren't dealing with conflict in biblical ways, ways described by Jehovah Shalom, the God our peace, or Jehovah Ra, our shepherd, who protects us, anoints our head with oil, when we are not following his mandates about conflict resolution, we end up with serious trouble in the body of Christ. I've heard it said, when you consistently are leaving a church because somebody offended you. This person offended me, so I'm going to that church. That person offended me, so I'm going to that church. What's the problem with the scenario? The problem is you're bringing yourself everywhere you go, and there will continually be offense and conflict. We are human. We will hurt each other. We will be offended. We will butt heads, if you will. We will lock horns sometimes, But God has given us a way to deal with it. Matthew chapter 18. Next time you're in Matthew or make a point of going in and reading when Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and take it up with your brother, you and him alone. Hear me. If someone has offended you after you've prayed and prayed and prayed and sought the Lord about it, If God doesn't make that offense go away and make you forget it between you and the Lord alone, then go to your brother. Don't go to anybody else. Do not go and talk to this one and that one and gossip to this one and, hey, I just I just want to see if if I'm right about this person or I'm just trying to protect you from this person or I've heard I've heard gossip and division cast in so many ways. I've heard it cast as a prayer request. I've heard it cast as, you know, I'm trying to protect you from getting hurt, or I'm trying to make sure I'm not crazy. That's why I'm bringing it up. But in the end, it's divisive because we're going to someone else instead of the person who has offended us. Hear me. And I've learned this the hard way because I've made mistakes along these lines. I do not do this perfectly. Obey Matthew 18. If you are offended, let that oil just run down and go in the spirit of humility and talk to your brother. And Romans 12 says, inasmuch as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. What depends on you? Obeying what God has said about how to handle conflict in the body of Christ. If you don't want it to be permanently damaging, if you don't want to grow bitter and to have a wake of people behind you, humbly approach people and listen. In as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Sometimes you're going to find out that you're going to go to your brother and they're not going to accept it. You're going to go with one or two others. They're not going to accept it. You're going to bring it before the church. They're not going to accept it. And sometimes people are just going to not like you and cut you out of their lives for no good reason. And you're going to be confused, and it's going to hurt you, and you're going to wonder what happened. But you do as much as it depends on you. 
obey the scripture. Do as much as you can within what God has shown you to do and leave the rest to God. Jehovah Ra, your shepherd, he's made a way, he's provided for that oil. And I have found this consistently in my walk. And I know, I know it may seem like a little bit of a digression on this issue of conflict, but not really. I have found that when I obey the scriptures, I am at rest even if I am in conflict. That verse that we just read about the banquet table in the presence of your enemies, I can sleep and I can have peace and I can be okay knowing that I did all that God has shown me to do to deal with conflict and to deal with offense. And really, don't be the one that's doing the offending. If you have sinned and hurt someone, go and apologize. Yes, you can do it, okay? Repeat after me. It's not that hard. I know it seems hard, but repeat after me. I'm sorry. Sorry. You can say it. You can say it. I'm sorry. Humble yourself. Don't be the offender. And if you're offended, obey the word of God. When those things happen, you can still have peace, even if every enemy is still swirling around you. That's the picture of what Jehovah Ra does. He can give you that kind of peace, peace in the presence of your enemies, and your cup can overflow. No matter what your condition is, your cup can overflow. And that leads me perfectly to verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's verse 6 of Psalm 23. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, how many of us, when we're looking at our past, all right, looking at the things that follow us, all right, the stuff behind us, if you will, how many of us have deep, deep, deep regrets about things in our past? I would venture to guess all of us do. Every single one of us does. We all have regrets. Things that we wish we could have done differently or we could have a do-over. But as we have memorized and as we know well, the passage of Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. Don't miss the second half of that verse. Don't just quote it willy-nilly saying, all things work together for good. That's not a blanket promise to all mankind. No, for those who love God and are the called according to His purpose, God makes a way to use even those regrets, even those hurts, even the things that you never thought you could get over. He works those things for your good. He makes things work out, believe it or not. So don't make big life-changing decisions in the middle of this crisis you're in and, and thinking you've got to take control and figure it out because somehow this isn't going to work and it's not going to work out. No, God has promised. And I can illustrate it maybe best with an example I love so much. One of our closest friends in New Jersey had a pretty wild period in his life before he came to Christ. Uh, Christianese, we call it our BC days, before Christ, okay? So 
he drank, he used drugs, he caroused. He was just sort of wild and all over the place. And in that period of his life, he got some pretty gruesome tattoos all over his body. You know, I think he has a grim reaper and he has like a scary looking clown with just some pretty scary stuff. And so we used to do a beach outreach every year in Ocean Grove, New Jersey, and he'd be on the beach with no shirt and all those tattoos are showing. And I asked him about it once. I was like, wow, those are some crazy, crazy tattoos. Is it complicated for you having a Grim Reaper and all those things on your body now that you've been walking with the Lord and, and following him for all this time? And he said, no, and I will never remove them. Listen to me, believer. This is important. This illustration is so great. He said, and he taught me something so precious. He said, I will never remove these because it's proof of God's goodness to me, of his faithfulness to save me from this life. I have a living reminder, an attached reminder of what God has saved me from. But also, I use this in my evangelism. So when I'm walking up and down the beach, people who don't know the Lord might see it and start a conversation with me thinking I'm still into this stuff, and I'm able to minister to them from the place of who I once was, pointing them to who I am now in Christ, glory to God. Doesn't that just give you goosebumps? I have goosebumps right now, even just telling you the story. That is a picture of goodness and mercy following you all the days of your life. There's stuff you regret, but God works it together for good. And he doesn't waste your sorrow. And he uses it right where you are. Goodness and mercy will follow you because that's what following Jehovah Ra looks like. Following the good shepherd means goodness and mercy is all that's behind you. So before I turn to the next passage I want to look at with you, I want to quickly recap the rich lessons in Jehovah Ra just from Psalm 23, okay? God my shepherd, Jehovah Ra, these are four points I want you to make sure you take down in case you missed the last podcast before I turn to a, a rich, rich passage in John 10. So four ways that the good shepherd provides for our needs, okay? Number one, he provides us rest. He allows us to lie down, rest. Number two, he gives us restoration. He restores our soul. Number three, fullness, this picture of the banquet, okay? And number four, security, it's a banquet in the presence of our enemies. It's goodness and mercy looking behind us and being secure at where we came from and where we are going. God, Jehovah Ra, has given us rest, restoration, fullness, and security. But I really don't think I'm doing justice to this name of God, Jehovah Ra, if I don't take us to John chapter 10, which I know many of you know is when Jesus is referring to himself as the Good Shepherd. So the whole passage is John 10, and it runs from verse 1 through 16. We're not going to read all of that together. We're just going to read a couple of highlights, and I really want to pull out some salient truth for us. All of it is salient truth, but especially important nuggets to take away. So we're going to read verses 1 through 7 together, John 10 verses 1 through 7. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. 
To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. That's important. So note that that was verse four, verse five. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus said this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Pause there for a second, please. I am the door of the sheep. Now, I'm not sure if you caught in what we just read. In verse three, Jesus talks about the doorkeeper opening the door to the sheep. That's in verse three of what we just read. But in verse seven, he says he himself is the door. So in one case, a doorkeeper is opening and closing a door. And then in another case, he's saying he is the door. So what is happening here? This is really important. And I know, again, um, maybe a mild digression. Don't read things at face value and say, oh, I think it's a contradiction or, oh, I don't understand it, but oh, well, dig in, roll up your sleeves, study things out. And keep reading. If you read something you don't understand, the scripture is the best commentary on the scripture. Just keep reading. Don't stop. So what's happening here? In agrarian culture where shepherds would watch sheep, in the colder months or in certain parts of a town, the shepherd would bring uh, his flock along with other shepherds bringing their flocks into a common pen. Okay, all the sheep would be penned together in one place. A doorkeeper would open the door and let all of these sheep from various uh, folds, he would let them all come in and they would be together to keep warm in those colder months. But how could a shepherd get his sheep out of that group flock, right? They're all mixed together. And I don't know about you, but I can't tell sheep apart. I really can't. The thing he'd do is he'd call them. He'd have a special call, a certain whistle. I was going to try to whistle for y'all, but I don't think that's a good idea, so I'm not going to do that. I don't even know how to whistle. But he'd have a special call, a whistle, some sort of thing, and they knew the sound of their shepherd's voice. They knew his voice, and they would follow that voice out. And so people wanting to experiment with this notion um, conducted an experiment where a Scotch traveler, so a traveler from Scotland to Jerusalem, he basically changed his clothes with a Jerusalem shepherd, okay? So this Scotch traveler put on the clothes of a Jerusalem shepherd, and he tried desperately to lead the sheep of the Jerusalem shepherd out of one of these common pens, okay? So, I mean, listen, he's wearing the shepherd's clothing, He's got the shepherd's staff. He has all the outward trappings of the shepherd. But the sheep wouldn't follow the clothes or the staff. When the Jerusalem shepherd gave the cry, all of his sheep came out of the pen towards the Jerusalem shepherd, even though he wasn't wearing his own typical clothing. In other words, we as believers on this earth, we may be all mixed together with non-believers, with, with enemies even of God and of the church, but we know God's voice and we follow his voice. 
God knows his own. Listen to me. Don't worry that somehow God's going to lose you. Jesus has said himself in his high priestly prayer that he didn't lose anyone that had been entrusted to him. Listen, do you know your shepherd's voice? Do you know it? Maybe I should ask that question. How do we hear the voice of the Lord? How do we know he's calling us? How do we know what he's saying? Listen, you know the voice of the Lord by his word, by studying it, by hearing it taught in your church, by hearing it in your small group studies, by hearing it in podcasts like this one. Listen, it is critical that you get busy hearing the word of God. It is God's very voice. God can also speak audibly. God can speak through his people. And the primary way God speaks is through his word when it is being taught, read even. Believers in China have testified of the word of God simply being read. Somebody stands up and reads the word of God and people are converted just because they heard the word of God read to them. Why? The scripture is clear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is critical that you are hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd. It is critical that you are regularly opening yourself up to hear the voice of your Shepherd. But what is it that distracts you from hearing the voice of Jehovah Ra? Why do we miss it? I mean, some of us go to church. Some of us might be listening to the podcast or going to women's or men's Bible studies or whatever it is, and still we're not really hearing and heeding the voice of the Good Shepherd. What is distracting you, beloved? Are you distracted by maybe some of your habits, let's say? Maybe we scroll way too long through social media again and again and again. We're bored and all we do is just jump right into social media 87 times a day. We all do it. We all have been there. It's a common problem. So we cannot hear the voice of the shepherd because we're distracted. Sometimes we're distracted by amusements, right? You know, some of us are video gamers, some of us watch TV, some of us are sports enthusiasts to the nth degree, where we're not hearing anything else, we're not doing anything else, we're obsessed about our favorite teams. Maybe we're not heeding the voice of the Lord because we are too busy, not with amusements or habits we've developed, but maybe it's we're really busy with our job and our kids and our housework and our ministry. They could be very, very, very good things. But listen, if you're too busy to be in the Word of God, and please hear me on this. I am not sharing this to condemn you. I'm sharing this hopefully to convict you as it convicts me on the daily. If you're too busy to be in God's Word, then you are just too busy. I'm going to say that again. If you're too busy to hear God's word, you are just too busy. Do what it takes, whatever it takes, to be sure you are hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd. But back to completing this picture of the doorkeeper and the door, 
So what I just described to you is when all the sheep are brought together in colder months, okay? They're brought to a common pen when it's cold. In the warmer months, though, the shepherds wouldn't come to gather all their sheep together. Instead, they'd stay out on the hills, in the fields, out and about. They wouldn't always bring them in town. And so if he was out in the middle of a field or in a hillside, he would need to find another way to pen them in so they wouldn't get lost overnight. So he would either find a cave, he would find an enclosure of some sort, maybe he would even put rocks, you know, in a very big circle and create sort of an enclosure. But then he himself would lay down and become the door of the sheep. He would become the door at the opening of that enclosure. He'd lie down and he himself would be the door. So Jesus isn't contradicting himself. He's referring to either winter months or summer months, whatever it is, both pictures apply. And the the moral of the story here is if the shepherd is lying down at the opening of that enclosure, it means that no enemy of those sheep, nothing whatsoever could get in and affect those sheep without the shepherd's permission. In other words, the enemy would have to get over that shepherd's dead body in order to attack the sheep. Believer, nothing can touch you, nothing whatsoever can touch you unless Jehovah Ra allows it. That's the fact of the matter. If something touches you, it's only because it came by permission. The enemy of your soul is not the Lord's cosmic equal. I say this all the time. Satan isn't God's equal and the two of them are battling it out like Captain America versus Camp Iron Man. They're not equals battling it out. And some of you Marvel fans are like, they are not equals. What you are describing is blasphemy. But stay with me, okay? Satan isn't God's equal. He's a created being, and he can't even get near you unless God sees a purpose in allowing him near you. God is sovereign. If something is affecting you, it's only because God has allowed it. Remember Job in the scripture. Satan wasn't allowed to do anything unless he first asked God. And the teacher, Alan Redpath, put it so perfectly. So again, sorry, second quote, same podcast, but it's really this kind of good. Listen to Alan Redpath. There is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God, past Christ, through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with a purpose which I may not understand at the moment. But if I refuse to become panicky, as I lift my eyes to him and as I accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me. No trial will ever disarm me. No circumstance will cause me to fret, for I will rest in the joy of what my Lord is, and that is the rest of victory. Hear me, believer, nothing will touch you without coming by God's permission because he himself is the door of the sheep. That is the picture of Jehovah Ra. But to complete this overall picture and to close with this thought, I want you to hear Oh, I love this. John 16, verses 10 and 11. I really feel like these are life verses. 
John 16, 10 and 11. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Ah, don't you love that? I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. There you have it. Jesus is calling himself Jehovah Ra. Isn't it amazing? If you point back to every name of God, each one can be applied to Jesus Christ because the name of God in the Old Testament is the name of Jesus in the New Testament because God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is the Trinity, the triune nature of one God. Jesus is Jehovah Ra, the Good Shepherd. And on the point of Satan, listen, he's real. Satan is real. Some people are going to tell you, oh, gosh, Christian fairy tales. No, Satan is real. And he does come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Don't be fooled. There is an enemy of your soul, and his goal is your utter destruction. But unlike the enemy, Jehovah Ra gives life, and he gives it in abundance. You know, that Greek word here for abundance is like a mathematical term denoting a surplus, You know when you have a surplus of apples, and so you can't just eat them all, you have to make apple pie at this time of year, right? So it's denoting an overabundance. God has given you a life that isn't just surviving, all right? Believer, you're not called to just survive. It's not white-knuckle survival. You are to thrive. You are to overcome. Your life is to overflow, That doesn't mean you never experience pain or hurt or want. We've talked about that before. Hebrews 11 is a picture that great men and women experienced hurt and pain and need and even death. And the world was not even worthy of them, Hebrews 11 says. That's how much of the Lord's they were, even though they had pain. No, you can have abundant life even if you have pain. See, our abundant life comes from Him giving His. Do you get that? Our abundant life comes from Him, from Jesus giving His abundant life for you. And that's why the whole matter is summed up in verse 14 of John 16. It says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. I'm going to give you two questions to close this podcast to consider. One, do you know the Good Shepherd? Do you know him personally? Do you know him, Jehovah Ra, as one who cares for you, who provides for you, who gives his life for you? Do you know him? And the second question, do you believe that God knows you? And maybe more importantly, really, do you know that God knows what's best for you? Do you believe that Jehovah Ra knows what's best for you? Jehovah Ra, your shepherd and your friend. He knows you like no other. He knows what is best. Trust him, Jehovah Ra. I hope you enjoyed our conclusion to the Lord, our shepherd, Jehovah Ra. I hope you are enjoying these podcasts. I cannot tell you how much I am enjoying 
teaching you and I am loving hearing how these podcasts are affecting you and being able to answer your questions. If you'd like to share your feedback with me, you can find me on social media, Carol Escaros. My last name is E-S-K-A-R-O-S. You can also email me, caroliscaros at gmail.com. That's caroliscaros at gmail.com. The website is up and running, but it's pretty basic right now. So you can visit me also at caroliscaros.com. And there you can also check on podcasts you may have missed, catch up on anything you've missed. These podcasts are available on anywhere podcasts are heard. So Apple Podcasts, Google also Spotify and Anchor uh, is doing such a great job with the publishing of these. So Anchor can be a source where you can catch up as well. And please do plan on joining me next time for the next name of God here on Rinse and Repeat.